Hello, I'm Steve, the retired criminal investigator with the Air Force Office of Special Investigations, the Federal Law Enforcement Agency of the United States Air Force. I'm Hannah, the amateur true crime enthusiast. I've been fascinated with my dad's job, and I love starting conversations with him to learn more. Join us each week as we share these conversations with you and discuss a real criminal case that piques our interest. Hello, welcome back, archivists. Welcome back. To our first episode in a while. Yes, it's, it's been a while. We're so sorry. A lot's been going on. Yeah, and as I said before, we you know, we tried to record at home remotely and it just was not up to our standard of quality mm-hmm. for sound. So We haven't been together for two months because Hannah just had a second baby, so congratulations. Thank you. And now, yep, so now we're back. As I said on my Instagram post, we tried to record remotely and it just wasn't up to our standard of quality. Yeah, and so. we just, we have to figure that out. It can be done, yeah. but we just have to figure that out. So here we are back in the studio. Yes. A couple months after Hannah had a baby. Yep. It's been like two months now. And now they're all here in my house. Yeah, he's acting like a crybaby. Like <laughs> we're bothering him. I'm exhausted. <laughs> he's exhausted. I'm the new parent of two. And you're <laughs> exhausted. Yes. <laughs> So anyway, we are here to talk about Michelle Kosky. This is another um, genetic genealogy, and we are back in Snohomish County. Uh, I think our last episode took place in Snohomish County. We're with the same detective, Jim Scharf. This is one of those cases that he wanted to solve. I think I mentioned in the last episode that he wanted to solve a certain amount of these cold cases that he had been working on before he retired. Mm -hmm. He actually retired in June of this year, but I'll talk about that later. Okay, good. Michelle Kosky was born on August 9th, 1973. She was the only child to Violet Simonson, who described her daughter as being funny but shy in public. Now, most of this information that I have about Michelle is given to us by her friend Melissa. They were best friends growing up, and Melissa really stayed on the police over the years, and she really stayed in the middle of this case to try and get it. She advocated for her friend a lot, Uh, so a lot of the... The conversation that we have about her comes from her friend, Melissa. Mm -hmm. Melissa says that Michelle loved animals and she wanted to be a lawyer. Pretty much everyone that does talk about her talks about how smart she was. Uh, Melissa goes on to just describe their friendship growing up and how close they were. They would have sleepovers, play cards, hang out, do all the, you know, girl, teenage girl things. Michelle uh, actually skipped the eighth grade and she had been attending Summit K through 12 alternative school in Lake City, where she was also a pitcher and shortstop for the girls um, softball team. Mm, pretty cool. Yeah. So she did have a uh, a plan to pursue a law degree. Um, and while she was waiting to go to college and finish high school, she was also working at Taco Bell. Now, in 1990, this is where it's going to get a little interesting and weird for me. In 1990, Michelle was living with her 28-year-old boyfriend in Lake City. So she's 17 years old. Oh, is this the first suspect? He will, yeah. Oh, I, well, I mean, I'm just we haven't got there yet, but I'm just. I mean, yeah. I'm just saying, hmm. Well, obviously, what is it? The partner is always the first person yeah, to be looked just, at. The boyfriend, it, I mean, ex-boyfriend, whatever that's it is. A point in the story that makes you go. Hmm. Well, I'm interested because she was 17 years old, yeah. living with, with a 28-year-old. Yeah. So uh, this is in Lake City, Washington. So, but she had expressed 
that she was planning on moving out to Melissa and her mom. Mm-hmm. So I'll get there in a little bit too. Okay. So now stay with me because this we're gonna it's gonna be a little confusing. We're gonna have a time that she was last spoken to and a time that she was last seen. Okay. So August eighteenth, nineteen ninety, Michelle Kosky was last seen arriving to her apartment that she shared with her boyfriend. It was at the thirteen hundred block of thirtieth Avenue Northeast in Seattle. So this is the last time that she is physically seen by anyone reputable. Okay. Who was she seen by? Her friends. They like they dropped her off. She was dropped off at her apartment that she shared with her uh, boyfriend. Uh, okay, okay. She was yeah. dropped off. This is the last time she's seen. Now, two days later, August 20th, 1990, was the last she had been heard from by Melissa and her mom. Okay? So they hadn't seen her in two days, but they spoke to her on August 20th. Now, when Melissa spoke to her, this is when Michelle expressed to her that she was planning on moving out of her boyfriend's apartment or their their shared apartment because when she had spoken to her mom her mom had asked that she come take care of the house and the animals while her mom was away on a trip so like it was kind of that was kind of confusing for me to read because like are you just gonna go house it or are you actually like moving out of your boyfriend's apartment to move back home you know that's kind of unclear okay who, who called who she called her mom yeah, she's she has there's on record four phone calls that she made that day on August 20th, one to her best friend, Melissa, and one to her mom. Now, we also know. OK, real quick. What was the other date again? We have August 18th. That's the last time she's seen okay. on record. Two days. Yeah. And then August 20th is the last time she's heard from. OK. All right. But we know for a fact So I don't know if this must have been a part of the conversation between her and Melissa. We know for a fact that on August 20th, she went to this popular, well-known teenager hangout spot, which was about 14 miles um, away from the apartment that she lived in. This is where teens were known to, like, drink and ride motorcycles. and So this is 14 miles away, and it's a known, like, teenager hangout spot where they do, you know, drinking and... Do we things. know how, like, wh- how um, long after? Okay, when was the phone call? That is unknown. The phone records? We don't have phone records? Not that I could find, no. Not that was available to oh, me. Oh, we should have. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just interested in, you know, timelines. Is it possible to be at this place? Okay, but we got to hear the rest of the story, though, right now. This is 1990, though, so mm. there was no cell phones, right? No, but there's still phone records. Right, but so, what like, times? I'm saying, like, she wasn't on the phone and at the place at the same time. Like, she was at the yeah, apartment okay. making these phone calls. Right, so that, pl- right, that's what I'm saying. So that time, mm-hmm. that that places her at her apartment. We could back, if we need, I don't know that we're going to need a timeline. I'm just saying, I'm just kind of mm-hmm. curious right now. Yeah. Okay. They are. I'll tell you. They they are gonna end up like ruling out the boyfriend essentially. So I don't think the timeline really is. Okay. It hasn't. It wasn't really important. Five days later. Now again, her. So her mom. So this is August twentieth, right? This is the last time she has spoken to her friend and her mom. And her mom is going away on like a trip. So they don't hear from or see her for five days. But this isn't so she's not going to be reported missing. This isn't like a weird thing, I guess. They just they don't really notice that she's not 
they're not hearing from her. But again, this is 1990, so it's not as common to hear from people so much as it is now, right? Okay, so she tells her mom she's going on a five-day trip, and she tells no, her, her friend. her mom is going away. Her oh, mom her mom. Is, remember, her mom was going away, and she uh, wanted uh, her gotcha, to move gotcha, back gotcha. in to gotcha. take care of the yeah. house and animals. Yeah. So now August 25th, near that popular highway hangout spot, it's near Highway 533 and Echo Lake Road in Snohomish, uh, a woman is walking her dog, and she is uh, the one that is going to come across Michelle's body. Now, she is found beaten and strangled, and dental records is what ultimately is used to identify Michelle a few days later. Oh, wow. So there's a few days that they don't know who this uh, victim is. Cause of death is determined to be strangulation, according to the medical examiner. Mm-hmm. Now, the crime scene. So I mentioned that she had been beaten and strangled. It was also determined that she had been sexually assaulted. There had been a broken up concrete that was dumped near where Michelle was found. Mm-hmm. And a piece of that concrete is what was used to kill her. Mm-hmm. But that's pretty much all we have. And then DNA was found. It's Now, they don't say what kind of DNA is found, but they did say that she was sexually assaulted. So, so. is blunt force trauma then? Strangulation is what is what the cause of death was. Then how, how did, what's the concrete used for then? Oh, there's two different articles that said two different things. According to the medical examiner, um, cause of death was strangulation, but there was also the piece of concrete that was used to beat her. Uh, oh, uh, okay, okay. My, that was my the, fault. The, yeah, they okay, it was used in the crime, but the yes. cause of death was strangulation. Okay. Yes, according to the medical examiner, it was strangulation, but mm-hmm. the concrete, although I'm sure, can't like two things be the same cause of death? Like, can't two things kill no, someone? Or? Not, not, not usually. Oh. Because I feel like that would be more of a, like if I saw that, I would assume that is what killed her. No, but what's important is is concrete. You know they can they can tell like forensically, obviously. If it like you're out in the woods, concrete doesn't yeah doesn't belong there. You know. Well, it it had been dumped. So and what they said, blood, but you can get fingerprints too, or DNA and stuff. Yeah. For that, if so, if someone was holding it, you know. So they say the DNA is found, but they don't say how in what form. But they say right. that she was sexually probably assaulted. Sexually assaulted, probably. And yeah. this, I'm sure they got something from the concrete though too. But this again is in 1990. Yeah. So. Okay. So, like I said, obviously the boyfriend was an immediate suspect, but he is later ruled out. Now it should be noted. Uh, I think this is important, but I only found this in one article, and no one else was talking about this. Mm-hmm. She had recently broken up with a different boyfriend that she had been starting to and to so she could specifically start seeing this 28 year old oh suspect another suspect right there they don't talk about him they don't spend any time with him we're i mean we're gonna find out spoiler he's got motive right he's got motive right and we're gonna find out later it's not him spoiler sorry but like they didn't talk about him at all like they he wasn't at any part of the investigation that i could find which i thought was interesting and maybe they're like even old articles though before we have before now when we know who who killed her like old articles they don't even mention him does that make sense what i'm trying to say Mm -hmm. you would immediately think of him though right well, yeah, because he's—it's a breakup. He could be upset about the breakup, you know. Because she specifically broke up with him to yeah. date this other dude, mm-hmm. and they moved in. So, like, she hadn't been living or been with this twenty-eight-year-old for very, 
uh, long at all. It was a short, short, but fast relationship. With the investigation, that's where they start, right, is the boyfriend. Um, the next place they go to, which this is kind of interesting, is uh, the Green River Killer was actually uh. currently at that time an area going through his killing spree. Mm-hmm. So he was in the Seattle area for about 10 years. So they thought that this could be a possibility that maybe she was one of uh, his victims, the Green River Killer. Yeah, when when you got a serial killer, a known serial killer like that in the area, you have to put it on the list, you know? Right. Uh, there was nothing specific that linked Michelle's death to the Green River Killer, though, so they eventually ruled that out also. Uh, and then as of September 1st, 1990, they had a list, the police had a list of 100 people that they were interviewing, which did include school friends and what is described as street use, which I thought was an interesting description. Street use? They didn't really elaborate. They just called them street use. I, I think we looked this up before. It was like skaters or something, maybe. Yeah, they say she was known to hang out on the Ave, which is in the university district, with so-called street people, but that they didn't class, they weren't going to classify her as a street person. And like that phrase yeah, was so used a lot. According to the Urban Dictionary, a young hooligan skater hoodlum that can be found occupying sidewalks and/or street corners, usually can be found wearing long sleeves, jeans, and dark <laughs> colors, no matter the weather. That's that's it. I mean, that's a common, like, millennial, yeah, I know. my generation, that was just, well, like, a Well, every generation trend. had that, so. Yeah, but okay. I don't think they were necessarily, like, the kids growing up that I grew up with, they weren't thought of as street people or hooligans. Mm-hmm. I mean, I grew up in, on military bases, though, so I don't know how yeah. the civilian <laughs> world was, but we didn't, they weren't hooligans. I don't remember that anyway. Hmm. They specifically make a point to say that they didn't classify her as a street person. I'm doing quotation marks. You yeah, yeah, but that. she, but she, it was hanging but out she with hung them. Out no, with them, I yeah. understood that. Yeah. But again, this doesn't really lead them anywhere, and the case is gonna go cold. Now, in 2005, a cold case unit was established by Detective Jim Sharf and David Heitzman. Now, Detective David Heitzman is the one who chose Michelle's case. To take on, you know, they, they have to go through all their cold cases and pick mm-hmm. what's, which ones they start and where they start. Uh, remember I mentioned uh, Jim Sharf's goal was to close. He wanted to close five specific cold cases before he retired. Right. Now, there was no DNA match in CODIS, uh, but they would go on to spend the next decade just ruling out suspects by using DNA, really. So between 2005 and 2015, they just were running that DNA as much as they could. Now, in between that time, in 2008... They did something kind of cool. They used this method uh, that you said you hadn't heard of. They used a deck of playing cards. And they, on each card, printed a different cold case or missing person. And, like, the brief description and a picture of the person and, like, facts of the case. And they distributed these playing cards to prison inmates in Washington State. Mm-hmm. So Michelle, she was on the five of diamonds and this tactic had actually helped solve cases in the past already in, in the state of Washington. But you said you'd never heard of this before. No, I never heard of that. I mean, I guess that would make sense though, because again, you were, 
an Air Force law enforcement no, for so no, long? No, uh, no. Did you just, work? I it, mean, it just, it just this police department thought of that. That's all. It's pretty unique. I've pretty seen cool. that in other places, oh, yeah? though. Yeah. yeah, but what I'm saying is, like, you didn't necessarily work with, like, prisons and jails and inmates, didn't you? No. We, so well, would you have... No, we had... Like, we didn't have our county. Yeah, we, we I mean, we had access to that stuff, but no, that's... Oh. I mean... We didn't really have any cases. We have cold cases, but we didn't really have any cases that rose to this level where we would have to get creative like that, probably. Oh. You know, ours is a little bit more cut and dry. Mm. Well. A little bit more boring, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, this is, I think it's a pretty cool method mm-hmm. because there are people in prisons that m- maybe. So they just pass out these cards and. Yeah. And so inmates would just play with these deck of cards. And if they came across a card that maybe they knew about. They right. So I guess the encouraged. difference is you're right. People in prison in one area have are, are dialed into that mm-hmm. to that community of bad guys. Our, our bad guys were all over the world, all spread right. out. Things, you know, it, it, that wouldn't have made sense. You That's know. true. Yeah. Also, there could be some kind of incentive to give information for these inmates. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if they give valuable information, mm-hmm. maybe they sure. get time off or yeah, good a behavior fun or job or something. Yeah. yeah, something better to do in prison or mm-hmm. something. I'm not mad about that. But again, this doesn't really go anywhere either. So again, we're just still stuck and cold. Okay. And what year is this now? So that the deck of cards was 2008. 2008. Okay. Yeah. So around 2021, Parabon Nano Labs gets involved, as they do in all of these cases that we talk about. They were sent the DNA sample, but in this case, which I think is interesting because we haven't talked about this specific thing yet in any of these cases. So the DNA sample that they had was... It contained both DNA from Michelle and the killer. So it was like kind of contaminated. Like they were mixed together. Yeah, that's probably from the um, sex assault uh, collection. Right. I thought it was interesting though because in mm. most of these cases, yeah, the DNA has come from a sexual assault. Yeah. Yeah. So they had to deconvolute it is what they said. Yeah. And separate it. But I thought it was interesting because they made a point to say that in this case. But like in all the other cases we've talked about, mm. they haven't said that. And I thought it was just like that would make sense to me that the DNA would be together. Yeah, I don't know. So I don't know. It, they felt the need to specifically say that here, though. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was because it's a different like process, I guess, to deconvolute it first. So they had to like essentially separate it. This process took a year to deconvolute it, they said. Well, how one year? Yeah. And as we know, like already doing the genetic genealogy and building the family trees, that yeah. usually takes a year anyway, too. Yeah, we don't we don't really touch on that, but the timeline can tell you. I mean, these things just don't happen overnight. I think we talked about that before, yeah. you know. And this It's usually this, a year. This ad, so it took a year to deconvolute it, mm-hmm. and then they could start doing what they do with the genealogy. Right. So they end up they're able to build a family tree and they enter it into all of the different websites that we've talked about. They do family tree DNA and GEDmatch specifically. And it leads them to two brothers. Both of these brothers are dead. One of them being Robert Brooks. When they compared the DNA that they had to Robert Brooks's DNA, it was a match. So much so, one in 1.2 quadrillion that it wasn't him. Hmm. So like, Where'd they get his? They had his DNA on file? Yeah. So I guess... Is he a bad guy already? No. They, when they... um In, in Jed Match and Family Tree DNA. So before he died, 
he uploaded his DNA. Don't or ask. one of or <laughs> one of the family members did. Uh, good for us. I mean, like, yeah. <laughs> but also, oh, like yeah. one of the family members did. Yeah, yeah. Maybe yeah, one yeah. of the family members or him, because he died in 2016, so he could have very well put in his DNA. No, right. Why would the he... family member puts his in, and then it leads him to the family tree? But then they still have to get his DNA, and you're saying his DNA was a match, so they yeah. still pulled his DNA somehow. Probably from his body. They exhumed it. They didn't say. They didn't specify, but that's my. That's what I'm assuming. They had his DNA somehow. So it's his name is Robert Anthony Burks. He was 22 years old at the time of the murder, in 1990. Now, April 18th of 1990. He was actually released from prison after being in trouble constantly. Okay, that's what I'm saying. He his DNA was on file because he was. Well, no, because then otherwise it would have hit in CODIS much earlier. Uh, this is 1990. Okay. Remember, yeah, we yeah, didn't yeah, yeah. get. Oh, he got he went to jail in 1990 and got yeah. out when he got out in April of 1990, and this murder happened. Ah, never in, mind. He wouldn't. Yeah. What right. did I say? August. Okay, so he's a bad guy. He died in his early 50s. August. No, he was 48. So he was in trouble with the law constantly, and he had been in prison up until April, so literally just a few months before she was murdered. He was living with a relative only a few blocks away from where Michelle had been living, and he did die of natural causes at age 48 in 2016. He was still living in Washington. Yeah, that's bad. That means he's living a hard life if he had natural causes Yeah, well, they made a point to say that he had been in trouble with the law constantly. So, I, yeah, I can't imagine that he continued. Drugs and alcohol and all kinds of stuff, yeah. Yeah, 48 is young. It, what's interesting is this, I wonder if this family member has regrets, like, knowing that they're, knowing that this guy was living with them and was a, a ship mm-hmm. bum in and out of jail already. I, and they lived how close, you said? Just a few blocks. A few blocks. I wonder if that family member was like, ah, geez, I wonder if it's, if it's my brother or whomever it was, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, that is interesting. Maybe that's the relative that put their DNA in the system, though, too. Mm-hmm. So, maybe. Yeah, maybe he said, let me do it this way and let them get to him. Yeah. You know, or something. Or maybe he was just doing the DNA and mm-hmm. then he, I don't know. That, yeah. I would like to think, think that people who aren't murderers, even if your family member's a murderer, you're still a good person and mm-hmm. you still would like mm-hmm. that. Like what you've said, like, why wouldn't you, why would you not be okay with this D- new DNA process? Mm-hmm. Because why would you want your family member, even if they're a murderer to continue to yeah, get away with I it? I don't understand if they murdered it. someone else. Like, yeah. why wouldn't you want to put your DNA out there for law enforcement? It is still unknown though, how Brooks and Michelle crossed paths. Um, there's some speculation that maybe he was at that hang up meet out or he had mm-hmm. seen her. I think you mentioned last time we talked about this that because remember, this is our second time talking about this case that maybe he had like seen her in the previous weeks or the weeks follow or before. Oh, my gosh. The weeks leading up to her. Yeah. Murder. If they both hung out there, if there's a lot of people hanging out there, and, and he identified her earlier on. Because he was 22 at the time, and remember her boyfriend was 28, she was 17. This was like a known hangout mm-hmm. area for like younger kids, so maybe he had been there, but it's we're unknown. So the Snohomish County Sheriff's Office is still taking any and all tips to really give the family more information and figure out maybe how they knew each other and what happened. Cause like, again, he's dead, so we're not going to get much and his brother's dead too. So they, you can call if you have any tips about this case or Michelle, the Snohomish County Sheriff's office at four, two, five, three, eight, eight, three, eight, four, five. And I'll post that on the Instagram and Twitter also. 
So that's really it for this uh, case. But it was, it is ultimately solved, essentially. We just don't really have any. Yeah, it's a bummer. No court, no nothing. No, they just, I, I mean, I guess I, I don't realize what do they do. They just say, hey, the police just go to the, the family and say, hey. They sell the press conference. This guy, yeah, they have press conference. This guy, but, but there's no, like, day in court to really judge and say, yep, that person did it, you know? Yeah. Uh, now, I mentioned Detective Jim Scharf. He retired in June, but he has plans to continue to volunteer and work on the remaining 80 cold cases that Snohomish mm, County has. Awesome. Yeah. Let's, let's keep following their cold cases then, because they always have good, some good stuff. Yeah. His last day of work was actually the day that he was able to announce Michelle's case uh, mm, being solved. That's awesome. That was his last day of work. Yeah. yeah that's awesome. Uh, Michelle, Melissa Johnson, who I mentioned earlier as Michelle's best friend, actually flew from her home in Reno, Nevada mm-hmm. to be front and center for the announcement. She, So like I said, she's been very involved like this entire time, which like it gave me chills and made me like tear up a little bit reading about their friendship because it's just sad that she had to lose her best friend like that, as well as, you know, Michelle's family losing her. Now, Michelle's case was one of 104 cold cases going back to 1951 that Snohomish Sheriff's Department has on file. So, the playing card technique I mentioned earlier has solved 24 cold cases in the last 17 years. What, just in all Snohomish lo- County. Oh, in Snohomish County? In, in oh, Was- so well, no, in Washington, Washington State. State. Well, oh, it's, yeah. a, it's a local thing. They get it done. Yeah, that's good. I've heard of that, though, on other shows oh. in other states. I've heard of that being a thing. Maybe it was always Washington. For, mm-hmm. I don't remember, but I know I've heard of that technique yeah. of watching other other things, other TV shows. So that's definitely a thing that seems to be working. That's cool. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, that's all I have. All right. Woo, it's good to be one. back and talking about these cases, peeling back the onion. <laughs> Haven't said that in a while. Mm. Yeah, uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this first episode back again i'm sorry for the longer delay than we had originally planned and we kept telling you guys that it was going to be next monday next monday but we're back to our regular programming and as always if you're enjoying listening to us we would love a five-star review on apple podcast was apple podcast yeah it's been a while since i've said this outro uh, and give us any feedback. Tell us what you're you're loving listening to, what you're liking about the podcast, whatever it is. We like to hear it. You can follow us on Instagram at True Crime Archives Podcast and Twitter at TC Archives Pod. And we're gonna st- we're starting to do more on TikTok. I forget the name of our TikTok though. Mm. It's true. It's True Crime Archives. Just type in True Crime Archives. And we will talk to you next week. I think that's all that I usually say. Right? It's been so long. Later. Bye. Bye.